We are continuing, continuing our series titled The Jesus Manifesto, where we're looking and tracking through a chapter in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61, whilst also looking at different stories from Jesus's life in Mark's gospel. And if you're kind of new to this, Isaiah is a prophet in Jerusalem in the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon certain people at certain times and those people would act as a mouthpiece for God, giving messages to leaders and to the people of Israel. And that's what Isaiah is doing in Isaiah 61. He's speaking primarily to the people of Israel a nation of people who have been in exile for a very long time. And now the people of Israel have returned to the city of Jerusalem, but they are a minority in the city. And it's into this moment of darkness and brokenheartedness that Isaiah releases a promise of hope from God. So we're gonna pick it up in Isaiah 61 verse eight. And it reads, for I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. And the story from Jesus's life that we're going to look at is the story of the Last Supper in the Gospel of Mark. It's Mark chapter 14. If you wanna turn there, it's on page 1020. We're picking it up from verse 12, but it will come on the screens behind me. So from verse 12, it says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you, follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12, and while they were reclining at the table eating, he said to them, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And they were saddened, and one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about Him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. And while they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and gave it to His disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then He took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Today, I wanna share some thoughts with you on a promise to never forget. And it's not lost on me that today is Remembrance Sunday. And of course, the centenary of the armistice that ended the First World War. Today, we remember those who died or suffered in all wars and conflicts, especially the First World War, and we honour the freedom found 
through their sacrifice. So it seems fitting then that our readings today would also call us to a holy remembrance, to remember the unfailing and ever faithful promises of God and to remember the freedom found through the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we're exploring Isaiah 61 as a whole church because this is the manifesto of Jesus. Jesus basically reads this scroll out when he begins his public ministry. He reads this chapter out loud because this particular chapter shows what his priorities are, the principles that guided his very actions and values on the earth. It's a proclamation of what a city looks like when it's completely transformed according to the kingdom of God. And the good news is we are all invited to participate in the unfolding of that kingdom in this city. But tonight I really wanna speak prophetically to you because I believe that the Spirit of God tonight is wanting to remind us that the kind of city-wide transformation we long for must be preceded by a personal transformation in response to a revelation of who Jesus truly is. And today, some of you, you might experience that revelation, that kind of new understanding for the first time. And for others of you, I really believe that the Holy Spirit is very gently and very lovingly calling you to remember your first love. So, Let me exhort you, encourage you tonight to forget not His promises. Firstly, forget not His promise of faithfulness. The words spoken through Isaiah are not the first time God has made a promise to the people of Israel. God has been making promises with humanity since creation. And one of the first promises he ever made was with Abraham, or who we know as Abraham, from whom the people of Israel descended. And in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, God promises Abraham that he will make Israel a great nation and he'll bless them to be a blessing to the nations of the world. And every time God makes a promise to people, it's a promise of relationship. It's a covenant, a bond, a binding commitment. And we don't really use the word covenant in 2018, but it's kind of similar to a legal contract. So your rental agreement or your employment contract would be an example of a covenant. Some more slightly romantic examples of covenants would be marriage, but I don't know much about that. But what I do know about (laughs) is, you know when you get one of those necklaces and it has half a heart, and then your best friend has the other half of the heart. And when you fit those two halves together, it becomes a symbol of the promise that you will be BFFs forever. <laughs> that, that I know about. That kind of covenant I know about. <laughs> but in essence, a covenant, it's a meaningful binding commitment between two parties. And throughout Israel's history, we see God initiating a covenant with His people. 
God promises to bless the people of Israel in order that they may live their lives in such a way that the whole world would know that their God is the one true and only God. But we also see throughout the Old Testament that the people of Israel don't always remain steadfast to this commitment. And yet, God renews His covenant with the people of Israel again and again. Throughout centuries and in spite of the unfaithfulness of His people, God faithfully keeps His promise to them. And so then we come to the context of Isaiah where we find the people of Israel doubting the faithfulness of God. After 70 years of being in slavery, they feel abandoned by God. They feel overlooked. They feel like He has ignored their trouble and they've become hard-hearted towards Him. And God speaks to them in the midst of this brokenness through the prophet Isaiah and He says, for I the Lord love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing and in my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. I'm someone who has a very high value for justice. I like fairness. I like things being made right. When I was younger and my brothers would cheat in a game of Monopoly, I would go out of my way to see that they were punished and I was rewarded fairly for my success in that game. But probably my value for justice manifests most fiercely through my adherence to the rules of grammar. Now you might think, that's quite ironic, you're Australian, but I must tell you that I am one of those people who really loves justice when it comes to grammar. I mean, if you send me an email with a misplaced apostrophe, I'm the kind of girl who like publicly corrects signage, or if you do a social media post and you use the wrong your, then I'll let you know about it. And I love it so much that I actually made a career out of it, and I became an English teacher. So when I stood before hundreds of teenagers throughout the years with their convoluted syntax and their careless use of the semicolon, I'm like, I'm not here for this, guys. I will restore justice to your use of the language. And honestly, I, I really thought I was on par with a Marvel superhero. I was doing a good thing. I was putting things right in the world. <laughs> but on a serious note, I wonder what you think when you hear the word justice. Sometimes in our culture, we can equate justice with punishment. And we start to think that justice looks more punitive than it does restorative. And I wonder for some of you, if you hear a phrase like, I the Lord love justice, whether that might actually trigger a little bit of fear in you. But I want you to hear really good news tonight. And that is that the justice of God is a merciful justice. The justice of God looks like this, good news for the poor. 
healing for the brokenhearted, freedom for captives, pardon to prisoners, comfort for the mourning, joy instead of shame, messages of hope instead of despair, the rebuilding of old ruins and the repairing of cities. The justice of God has less to do with punishment for the oppressor and more to do with total restoration for the oppressed. God's justice is total redemption. And a key phrase here in this passage in Isaiah is for I, the Lord, for, because, since, owing to the fact, how many many more synonyms can I do? Basically, what God is saying here is this kind of reward, this kind of justice is not dependent on your ability to be faithful to your promise. It's entirely dependent on my ability as God to be utterly faithful to the promises that I made to you. It's as if God is saying, I love justice so much in myself. I am so true to my nature that I will reward you in my faithfulness. He's reminding the people of Israel that He is a more than fair, ever faithful, promise-keeping God. And there may be some of you here tonight who are experiencing real doubt. You may look at the promises of God throughout the Bible and you think, oh, there's no way that's for me. I don't deserve that. Justice for me would be punishment, not restoration. Why would God be faithful to me? And others of you, you might have within your history with God promises that have been spoken personally to you about your life, about who you are in God, and you might not have seen those promises come to pass yet. And so because of that, you might be like the people of Israel, feeling overlooked, abandoned, forgotten about, or what have I done to disqualify myself from receiving the promise of God? I really believe you need to hear tonight that the Father in heaven is saying to you, in my faithfulness, I will reward you. It doesn't depend on your faithfulness because your faithfulness will never be perfect. It'll never be enough. It doesn't depend on your ability. It entirely depends on God's ability to be faithful to His nature towards you. And these words are not simply for the people of Israel. They extend to us now in London in 2018 because they reveal something about the true nature of God. And here's the thing about the true nature of God. It never changes. The Bible says that there is no variation nor shadow of turning in God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is faithful in His faithfulness. We sung tonight that all of His promises are yes and amen. And so I wanna remind you tonight that we must engage in endless remembrance of the faithful promises of God. And we must engage as a personal discipline And we must extend to one another endless reminders of His promises towards us. Because God is true to His true nature. He's just in His just nature. And this nature is perfectly represented and perfectly fulfilled in the person of Jesus.
So my second point tonight is forget not his promise of belonging. In chapter 14 of Mark's Gospel, we find Jesus and his followers in Jerusalem preparing for the Passover. What's the Passover? Okay, stick with me. Whistle stop tour. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. Early on in the story of Israel, God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. Think Disney film. Disney? Well, that film, Prince of Egypt. Are you all there with me now? Yep, okay. To mark this moment in history, God introduces to Moses and Aaron a ceremony called the Passover. And the Passover is a feast to commemorate Israel's deliverance from captivity. And you can read more about this in Exodus chapter 12, but the important points to note here are that as part of the Passover, as part of this ceremony, this feast, God instructs the people of Israel to take a lamb, a lamb that is without blemish, and to sacrifice that lamb. And then they are to take the blood of the lamb and they are to paint their doorposts with the blood. And God says to them, this day will be a memorial day for you for the rest of your history. And you were to pass this festival, this feast, down through the generations. The Passover is a feast of remembrance. So, Jump back to Mark's Gospel, where with Jesus, his followers, in an upper room, they're preparing to celebrate the Passover. They're preparing to celebrate this feast of remembrance that has been passed down through generations. And we read in verse 22 of chapter 14, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. And Jesus' followers, they were good Jewish boys. They knew what was happening in this moment. The significance of this moment, of the words of Jesus was not lost on them. Passover, blood, covenant. And the words of Jesus would have triggered for his followers memories of Exodus 24, where God renews his covenant, his promise to the people of Israel through Moses. And to mark this renewal of a covenant with Moses, Moses has to sacrifice an animal and sprinkle its blood. This moment, this meal, is a symbol of the forthcoming death of Jesus. And when Jesus wanted to explain to his followers what his death was all about, he didn't choose a model or a theory, he chose a meal, a meal of remembrance. Yes, they were looking back in an act of remembering a past sacrifice. But what made this meal so different is not only were they looking back in remembrance, but they were also looking forward to the ultimate sacrifice. When the one true, pure and spotless lamb would be sacrificed once and for all in Jesus. And if there were ever a day in 2018 when sacrifice would be at the forefront of our minds, it's today. As we commemorate the end of the great war, as we honor the lives of countless men and women laid down 
so that we might find freedom. We remember that that freedom comes with great sacrifice. Today is our own ceremony of remembrance. And as we look back in an act of remembering, we can also look to the cross where Jesus laid down his life for the freedom of the whole of creation throughout all of history. In this story, Jesus speaks of a new covenant marked by the sprinkling of his own sacrificial blood. And yes, it does point to the ultimate redemption of Israel, but it also extends to all people. Jesus is referred to by Isaiah as a light for all nations. The sacrifice of Jesus becomes the symbol of God's covenant, God's promise with you and with me. It becomes a symbol of our belonging to Him. On Friday, my friend and I had coffee with a woman who we'd never met before. And she wouldn't call herself a follower of Jesus. And because this was the first time that I met her, we were chatting throughout the coffee and I was asking her loads of questions about what she did. And it turned out that she was quite a spiritual person. She was a very open person. She was kind of into a, a few new age practices and, and we were just kind of chatting about that and, and not kind of like in a hippie way when you dress bohemian when you're at university, but like actually, <laughs> actually new age hippie stuff. And um, it was very clear that she hadn't yet engaged or encountered the person of Jesus, but she had a great understanding of spirituality. And she mentioned that she had been suffering from um, an ongoing illness. So I said to her, would it be okay if, if, I, if I prayed for you? Because see, I believe that Jesus, He's alive on the earth through the Holy Spirit and Jesus still heals today and He heals through the Holy Spirit just as we allowed Him to do earlier in the service. And I'm just wondering if you'd be up for maybe seeing if Jesus might wanna heal you today. And she was like, okay. I'm like, whew, that's easy. <laughs> So we prayed for her and what I thought was gonna be about a three minute prayer actually turned into a 30 minute prayer. And it was very, very clear as we were praying for her that not only was Jesus healing her physically, but he was also healing her emotionally. And quite powerfully so. And she was quite emotional and bear in mind, we're at the front of a very busy cafe in South Kensington. And my friend, he kind of takes, takes this moment, this opportunity, and he says to this woman, he's like, this is Jesus on the outside. Do you wanna know Jesus on the inside? Do you want Jesus to be your leader? Do you wanna decide to follow Jesus? And I'm like, man, you went in. And um, <laughs> it was much more bold than me. And, and she was like, okay. <laughs> so we led her in, in a prayer and, and she gave her life to Jesus. And she's crying. I mean, it was nuts. <laughs> Meanwhile, the waiter like comes over to us and he's like, guys, I'm just wondering, is everything okay? Do you want me to get some water for you? I'm like, mate, this is rivers of living water right here. Like she's never gonna thirst again. We're good. <laughs> And as we were praying for her and she was being totally set free and totally healed, all of a sudden there was this moment where the peace of God just came and settled on her. And she was really, really still and her eyes were closed. And she probably sat there for about three minutes, just eyes completely closed, really still. And after a little while I said to her, 
What's happening for you right now? And she said, oh, I'm just having a vision of Jesus. I'll try and tell this without crying. She said, I, I didn't know that's what he looked like. I've seen like pictures and paintings of him before, but I, I didn't know that this is what he looked like. And she said that as she was having this vision of Jesus, this kind of picture in her imagination and her mind's eye, she said that Jesus embraced her. And Jesus said to her, I've been waiting for you for such a long time. I've been waiting for you for a really, really long time. And she said, Jesus took a really old and dirty ring off her finger and he replaced it with a completely new ring. And then he hugged her again. And as she said this to me, she's like, what's that about? And I'm like, oh, that, that's the mark of a covenant. That's a symbol of a promise that, that you now belong to Jesus. You belong to him and he belongs to you. And she just burst out laughing. <laughs> And she laughed. I mean, when we first met her, she was really solemn and downtrodden and brokenhearted and she left us absolutely joyful. And you know what? Jesus is so fun. Jesus is so fun. When she came to meet us for coffee, her phone had completely died. Like her phone battery had completely died to the point where she had to ask some people around her, like, where's this cafe that we need to go to? And as her phone was in her pocket and we were praying for her, such was the power of God in her body that her phone charged to 25%. <laughs> What's that? That's just Jesus. That's just what He's like. He's fun like that. He sets us free. He leads us into freedom. He leads us into joy and He charges our phones. <laughs> This new covenant, this new promise involves an inner writing of God's truth on our hearts and minds where God becomes our God and we become His children. He belongs to us and we belong to Him because of the blood of Jesus Christ because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is an everlasting covenant. I want you to hear that tonight. It's everlasting. There is nothing you can do to break it because it does not depend on your faithfulness. It entirely depends on God's faithfulness to you. It entirely depends on the nature of God towards you. The Bible says that whilst we were still sinners, whilst we were still unfaithful, Christ died for us. The covenant was made whilst we were unfaithful. It entirely depends on the faithfulness of God. And in a room of this size, I, I would assume that we're all at different stages in our relationship to Jesus. And I'm sure, like I said at the start, there are some of you tonight who this is the very first time you've ever heard this. It's the very first time that you've ever heard the good news of Jesus Christ laying down His life for you so that you might find belonging in God. And for others of you, it may be that as I've been speaking, 
I really believe that the Spirit of God has very gently and very lovingly been speaking to your heart and, and just calling you to remembrance. He's been calling you out of the fog of distraction and disappointment, and He's calling you to remember once again the faithfulness of His promise and the wonder of His grace. I think the invitation of heaven tonight is one unto personal remembrance. It's unto a personal renewal, because it's that kind of personal renewal that has to be the beginning place for any kind of public or citywide transformation. It's entirely sustained by the faithfulness of Jesus. The moment that we think that it somehow depends on us is the moment we're forgotten. We have to return to endless remembrance and endless reminders. I wanna exhort you tonight, forget not his promises. This is a promise to never forget. It's a promise that God will never forget you, but it's also a promise that we might never forget the sacrifice of Jesus.